Oh, when the red, red robin comes bob-bob-bobbing along, along, there'll be no more sobbing when he starts throbbing his old sweet song. It's time for the West Virginia Nest Podcast. The show's all about the beautiful birds in West Virginia. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at WVNest. Email us your comments or questions at WVNest at gmail.com. When the red, red robin, there comes a bop, bop, bobbin. Oh, and the red, red robin comes bop, bop, bobbin along. Here's your host, Kid Conley. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the West Virginia Nest Podcast. I am your host, Kid Conley, and I guess the best way to start this week is with an apology. I'm sorry, so sorry, that I was such a... And that would be for not having a podcast last week. I didn't know love could be. What happened was, we had planned to do a podcast as usual, would have went up on Sunday, but I had a one-day opportunity, finally, to put my money where my mouth is. Now, we've done all this talk here on the podcast about the summer list, the bucket list, we call it, where we pick out these birds that we talk about that we'd really like to see this summer, and we made a list of them, and I had four birds on my list, and one of those birds was a red-headed woodpecker. Well, here's what happened. I decided that I was going to put my money where my mouth is. So I've talked and I've talked and I've talked for the last six or seven weeks about this is a motivator. Let's do this. Let's put together these four or five birds, however many birds you want, on a list, hang it up on the refrigerator or somewhere where you see it every day, and it becomes a reminder to you, a motivator. And I just felt like, you know, I'd done the list and I had four birds on the list. And I'm trying to remember what they all were. Red-headed woodpecker was on there, a... Rose-breasted grosbeak was on there. What else did I have? Oh, a Cape May warbler and a magnolia warbler. So I had four birds on there. And I decided one day, look, I'm not, I'm not really walking the walk here. I'm talking the talk, but I'm not walking the walk. So I posted on one of the bird groups I belong to, which is uh, Mountain State Birders. Great Facebook page, by the way. You can join if you're here in the state of West Virginia or, I guess, anywhere. Uh, There's about a thousand. Actually, I think they hit a thousand members. And you get a lot of great information on there. But I posted on there that I was looking for redheaded woodpeckers, that I needed one for my life list. And did people know about a place where they were concentrated? Now, this is never, you never can get a guarantee. And I understand that. But what we look for is a place where the probability is high that you could potentially see a redheaded woodpecker. And so I asked that question on there. And these, again, this is for the state of West Virginia. Not a lot of people posting a lot of different things on there, but most of them were posting North Bend State Park. North Bend State Park. North Bend State Park. Oh, you got to take a kayak, but go to North Bend State Park. That's what everybody just about on there was saying. So I do have a kayak, but for some reason, they had all told me, you know, you've got to do it by kayak. That's, that's where you're going to see your redheaded woodpeckers. But a friend of mine, uh, who is going to be on the show in just a little bit, by the way, had uh, gone up to North Bend State Park. After I'd heard all this and I'd wrote it down as a possible, she went up there and she took, uh, she did some kayaking and did some videos. And I saw that she had been there, so I sent her a message through Facebook. And I was like, Lauren, 
uh, did you happen to see any redheaded woodpeckers while you were up there? And she was like, I did, actually. <laughs> and so, for me, that was it. I had to do it. Now, I had one day to do this. And believe me, I'm getting to a point here. I had one day to do it. That was Sunday. Sunday is usually the day I put the finishing touches, do the broadcast, and get the uh, podcast uploaded. And I thought, I've got a decision to make. Do I do a podcast on a holiday weekend? Or do I walk the walk as well as talk the talk, and I go on this trip. And I had nobody to go with me. This was a trip that I did by myself. So I thought, all right, I'm going to do it. And so I packed up the kayak the night before, packed up all my camera gear, got everything loaded, got up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday, holiday weekend, and drove up to North Bend State Park, which, by the way, is about 30 miles east of Parkersburg, which Parkersburg's about an hour and a half from here. So we're looking at roughly almost two hours from Charleston, where we do the broadcast where I live to North Bend State Park. And what an incredible day of birding I had. I spent three hours on the water and another hour just kind of, uh, you know, working my way throughout the park. First of all, let me tell you, North Bend State Park is a beautiful, beautiful park. They got a lot to do up there, but uh, the lake is just incredible. And it's a pretty big size lake. I mean, it's not as big as Summersville. Definitely not as big as Eastland, some of these places that you're used to. But if you haven't been to North Bend State Park, and I think the lake actually has another name. It's like Barton Lake, maybe. I don't know. Don't don't hold me to that. But it is part of the park. So, you know, I go out on the lake. Not one. Four redheaded woodpeckers. So, that gets crossed off the list this week. So, I ha- at least I have that. Didn't have a podcast last week. I will make it up to you this week because we got some fantastic stuff going on. But I did see the redheaded woodpecker. I do have it marked off uh, the list. And actually, I saw 21 species of birds. 21 species of birds at North Bend State Park. Keep in mind, this is in the time span of four hours. Here's what I saw. Eastern Kingbird, a blue heron. Uh, I had written this down as a mystery bird, and it's actually on the video that I posted. If you want to see the video, go to WV Nest. It'd be the last video that I uploaded. You'll see me in the kayak out on the lake, and that's how it starts out. It was a mystery bird to me. It ended up being, I had to call in the, the heavy guns, Dave Dendler, on this one and ask him what it was. It turns out it was a, a young, a very immature, uh, double-breasted cormorant which I saw an adult double-breasted cormorant. Uh, and this, this cormorant was actually up in a tree. And I zoomed in on him, got a pretty good shot of him. And, and like I said, I don't study water birds that much. Um, so I had to go to the, pull out the big guns and I called Dave Dendler. I, actually, I sent him a message and I was like, hey, can you tell me what this bird is? And he confirmed it. It was a double-breasted cormorant, just a juvenile or, or an immature uh, bird. So it looked completely different than the adult. It was lighter in color. It was kind of a white and a gray. And the bill was very yellow versus orange. But you'll see it on the video. Just go to WV Nest. Saw some eastern bluebirds. Got to see a nest. Uh, got to see a, an adult going in and out of the nest, feeding the young. If you're a fan of tree swallows and you love that beautiful sort of uh, iridescent blue, you'll love North Bend uh, State Park. because They've got a ton of them, especially on the lake. Probably saw two dozen tree swallows. Saw a bunch of bank swallows, too. Probably half as many as the tree swallows, but uh, they do have the bank swallows, too. Uh, Saw four red-headed woodpeckers, like I said. That was the reason why we went there. A ton of northern flickers. Flickers were making a a racket down there, too, and I actually uh, got a couple of those on video, as well as the red-headed woodpecker. Uh, You know it's going to be a good day when when you pull into a park and there are four American turkeys crossing the road right in front of you. 
And like I said, I was there early, probably uh, one of the first people to the park. And with it being a holiday, I'm sure. But uh, uh, four American turkeys just strutting right across the road in front of me. So so from that point, I knew it was going to be a great day. But then I have a little problem finding the lake. And I should have just used common sense. My wife says I'm book smart, but I have no common sense. But I should have just followed the signs. Because there was a sign there that said public stream access. And I thought, I'm not going to a stream. I'm looking for the lake. So I take a, a wrong turn and can't find it. Then I go into the main park and I can't find it. But I did find a park ranger and i followed him up to the top of a hill he was going to a shelter a picnic table and i asked him how to find the lake and just as i had gotten out of the car a pileated woodpecker flies over top of us but like right but right between us lands on a tree not 10 feet from both of us and just you know starts up the tree so at that point you know i'd already seen the four turkeys and to come that close to a pileated woodpecker i was just incredible and i knew that i was in for it but uh add the pileated woodpecker to the list uh got some uh, some just quite a few downy woodpeckers one hairy woodpecker three oven birds got to see a wood thrush and believe me that those i'm surprised i didn't see more you don't see a wood thrush usually you hear them and i heard them all day saw a bunch of canada geese yeah that's believe it or not proper english they're not canadian geese the word is canada goose so therefore when it's plural it's canada geese trust me on this i've had this argument a hundred times i got to see a red-tailed hawk also a turkey vulture a bunch of red-winged blackbirds a bunch of european starling stuff that i see at home and one eastern phoebe so altogether 21 species five species of woodpeckers that are native to west virginia i only needed to see one the red-headed woodpecker and i saw four so i'm marking that off the list how many of your birds if you made the list with me how many of your birds have you seen? You've got to sometimes sacrifice something to go on these bird outings and and get your bird. And in this case, the sacrifice was the podcast. And I do apologize for that. But like I said, going to make it up to you this week. Go check out the video at WV Nest. Uh, coming up on the show today, we've got a very special guest, Lauren Cole is here with us via Skype. She'll be here via Skype. Um, Lauren is a naturalist for Chief Logan State Park. And I got to tell you, that park, I grew up in Logan County, just right across the Guyandot River from Chief Logan State Park. I spent a lot of time there as a kid. And it was a fantastic park growing up. Um, they had lots for kids to do. Of course, they had a creek, and that's all you really need for a kid. But you've also got the playgrounds and the, the swing sets. Um, they had a restaurant there. They had a swimming pool, of course, and, and a small pond. But they didn't offer a lot in the in the way of uh, programs and learning about nature. I mean, yeah, you could go there and see all the nature you wanted, but they didn't really have people out there to teach you and to walk you through and do these little classes and do these little workshops. Well, Chief Logan State Park has changed a lot. They're doing a lot of that right now. And I don't know how much of that is due to Lauren Cole, but I know she spearheads and leads quite a bit of it. So we're going to find out and we're going to talk to her. She is a naturalist with Chief Logan State Park. She's going to be on the show. Also on the show, we're going to talk about 20 endangered West Virginia birds. Some of these birds, you're going to have no idea they were on the uh, the being watched list. I don't want to use the word endangered. Of course, they're endangered if they made this list. But some of these birds, I guess you could almost say they're at risk 
birds that show up with a high score on the probability that their numbers are are in severe decline. Let's let's say that. So 20 birds that are either migrants through the state that are uh, breeding residents, which means they come here and they spend a good deal of time here because they, you know, they raise their young here, or residents. Some of these birds are going to surprise you. Some of them you're going to know. Some of them you may not know. But we're going to talk about 20 endangered West Virginia birds. And then I'm going to give you 10 ways that you can help save these birds and, and birds across the country. 10 tips. That's what I'm going to give you. 10 tips that are going to help you with bird conservation. We're going to save these birds. And, and it's got to start with me and you. I am guilty of not doing a lot of this. And I admit it. But I'm going to take a, a solemn look at everything that I do from the trash that I throw away to the chemicals that I use outside. And uh, I'm going to make a concerted effort to follow this list of 10 very easy things. And I would ask you to do the same thing. So we are going to talk about 20 species of birds that are at risk in West Virginia, 10 ways that you can help them. I also got a pretty large birding calendar, half a dozen or so events going on in the state of West Virginia. Summer heats up. Obviously, you've got a lot more going on in some of the state parks and a lot more birding events and things. So we'll have the birding calendar a little bit. Um, As usual, if you have any questions, comments, ideas for the show, here's how you can get them to us. Got questions about birds? We'll find you an answer. It's the West Virginia Nest Podcast. Email us your comments or questions at wvnest at gmail.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at wvnest. All right, welcome back to the West Virginia Nest Podcast. Got a very special guest this week. Good friend of mine and a naturalist at Chief Logan State Park in Logan, West Virginia. And here to tell us all about the programs they have at Chief Logan State Park is Lauren Cole. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, kid. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. It's my pleasure. Tell me a little bit about your background, your schooling, and your training real quick. My background is I, I went to WU and got a degree in biology, a bachelor of science in biology. And um, But my real background is just I'm somebody that likes to be outside and I like to enjoy nature. And, you know, birding is one of those things that fits in really well. Like, say you go on a wildflower hike. It's not like you're not going to see birds. True. When you're looking for wildflowers, the birds are always there. So it's something that you can enjoy all the time. I like to enjoy it from home. You know, I do a little bird watching even when I run. I recently picked up running again, and I've caught my... The only thing it doesn't really mix with is when I'm on the motorcycle. (laughs) That's going to get me in trouble one of these days. Remember. Remember that I told you that. So obviously, as a young kid, you probably would not know the meaning of the word naturalist. But when did you know that you wanted to do something in forestry, whatever it was? I mean, have you? were you one of those bug kids always looking for bugs and yeah yeah i'm one of those kids that it's like if i had something in my hands you start getting nervous it's like what's she carrying now (laughs) what'd she she find what'd she pick up Uh, you know i remember being five years old and and being really insistent that i wanted to be an entomologist and then that involved into paleontology and i never let go of that stuff i just love nature and it's nature for me is exciting and there's always something new like i i don't care if i walk the same trail every single day i'm gonna see something new that's true it it changes the time of the year the time of the day there's just always something exciting to experience out in nature it's an escape and i like to teach other people about topics like native plants and animals and how we fit into that puzzle what i do really right now is is i educate the public the the classroom is the park i get to take them outside you get to experience those things hands-on and that's that's what makes a 
bigger impact than sitting in a like a lecture hall. When I grew up, and, and I grew up uh, in Hen Lawson, which is, uh, some of you might know, is a little community that's right across the river from Chief Logan State Park. That park was the most magical place. They had swing sets, and they had, of course, they had a creek, and they had the big train engine, and they had a small pond. They had an amphitheater and a pool. Now, a lot of that has changed since I was a kid, like in the late 70s and 80s, hasn't it? It seems like you guys are offering all these great nature programs and stuff, so, so what changed? The park has changed somewhat since you were a kid. You know, you, you mentioned the train and the pool, and those things are still there. What used to be a restaurant is now a museum. An authentic pioneer homestead was moved onto the park property. Is that the one that's right across from the amphitheater? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Um, I actually open that at times and take people through it in, in a tour um, and explain to them the history of the cabin and what it, life was like in in the 18th century and 19th century and um so that's that's something unique on the park um the pond was expanded in in the mid 90s i I think things just kicked off in the mid 90s i'm gonna say the mid 90s a lot the pond was expanded it's now a seven acre lake which is great for waterfowl sometimes do do they allow kayaking (laughs) can you put a boat on it no you can't you can't put a put a um any kind of vessel on it but you don't really need to it's it, there's a walking path around the entire length of the lake it's really it's an ex- very accessible lake the wildlife exhibit was built in the early 90s and that is actually if anyone is familiar with french creek what they used to call the game farm and it's now the West Virginia Wildlife Center. We basically have a miniature version of that so we have captive black bear wild boar bobcat some various reptiles and then some birds of prey now do you guys rehab them do they or are these birds that for, for whatever reason can't be rehabbed and have to just stay uh, in captivity they're 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 permanent residents they're they're birds that have um in some instances been hit by cars things like that and and they cannot return to the wild gotcha so tell me about some of the nature programs i see the i always see your name involved in all these different wildflower hikes and and butterfly to or caterpillar to butterfly tell me about some of those uh, nature programs you have there i do nature programming very frequently from basically memorial day to labor day and and our big focus right now is something called ypp it's young people for parks and it's targeted at kids 6 to 16 it, it's a it's a longer program where if the the kid does three of the activities and fills out a little brochure about what they learned. They can earn a certificate and, and a patch and some other rewards. But, um, you know, I, I don't I don't judge if you're, you know, 37 and you want to come play a caterpillar <laughs> game, you can play the caterpillar game. That's what I was going to say. Why should the kids get all the fun? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, it, anybody can come, but it, the, the like, you just couldn't earn a patch, kid. Darn so, it. <laughs> what I do is Every month I have has a theme. April was wildflowers, so I did several wildflower-related programs. Um, May has been for monarchs, so basically pollinator programs and pollinator-related programs. Um, and then June is box turtles. It's turtle month, so I got several turtle-related pro- programs, uh, which those are a big passion of mine. Uh, July will be Coalfield history. I wish they'd have had they- uh, that kind of stuff going on there when I was a kid. Like I said, it was a magical place anyway, but they had no program oh, at all like this you know it, it's nice now to get young people now excited about the park and out there enjoying basically nature because that's they say now it's where pe- people in nature meet 
th- I think that's that's so accurate because it's it's very accessible. You know, you can just park your car and get out on a trail and go experience nature, which I think is is a unique thing and it's a great thing. Let's talk about birds because that birds. is what we do here. <laughs> what kind of birds are you guys seeing down there at Chief Logan? Like I said before, it, it varies from day to day and time of the year and time of the day even. And I'm definitely not the kind of nerd that has a giant Excel file of every bird I've ever seen on the park. Or a podcast. Uh, <laughs> no. You know what's cool is is we get game birds like wild turkey and rough grouse. We get songbirds, um, hooded warblers, perulas. Today I saw an orchard oriole this morning heading oh, into the park. Those are cool. beautiful. Yeah. Well, and then I went on a hike, and there was that sharp shin hawk. Now, I saw the picture, and I wanted to ask you about the sharp shin hawk. What was the story behind that? Well, so I I have um, a National Trails Day hike on Saturday, and I went up on the trail today just to make sure, you know, everything was passable. There wasn't a big tree down somewhere that you can't get over or under. And I had been told several times that there are some small birds of prey hanging around the campgrounds, and I'm thinking, I'm going to see something while I'm up there. And sure enough, here comes this sharp shin hawk just swooping through the trees and it was it was probably about 90 feet from me kid i mean he just sat up in a in a snag and just preened himself and and he looked at me a few times and i stood there and took pictures of him and then he just went on his way and it was it was really exciting you know we see cooper's hawks but i hadn't seen sharp shin on the park yet so i thought that was pretty exciting do you keep a do you keep a checklist of the birds you see or are you even not that nerdy (laughs) oh no i have i i have an excel file and it has where i saw it when i saw it you know. I'm like Sheldon Cooper when it comes to being facetious or <laughs> I, I I thought you were you were generally making fun of people like me, but you really do have an no, Excel file. No no, I honestly have an Excel file. And that way, you know, in ten years I can go back and look at it and say, I've seen yellow belly sapsuckers in the spring at the wildlife exhibit. And, you know, I just am prepared to, to know what I have seen and what I haven't seen. You talked about some of the events that you do regularly and at different times of the season. You've got uh, an owl prowl coming up, and that yes. sounds like a lot of fun. Tell me, tell us about that. Owl prowls are pretty fun. Um, you know, we talk about all kinds of nighttime critters before we go out. Uh, but the the park, and this is, this is what's cool about the park, is you, we have really good varying types of bird habitat. There are open areas. There's a lake. Uh, there's a lot of varying shrubs, you know, that make for really good, really varying birding, I think. And what's beautiful is we have so many pileated woodpeckers. That park is full of barred owls. I hear them at 4 o'clock in the afternoon really? a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, there are tons of them in there. Because, um, you know, we have, especially behind our museum, we have um, some pine trees. We have a white, grow white pine. And um, the pileateds just knock big old holes in them. And those barred owls, they scream in there all the time. They're out there hooting at each other, having a hoot nanny. So if we come um, to this owl prowl, probability is pretty high that we'll get to see at least a barred owl then, right? Well, I, I hope so. You can never um, have a guarantee. And, you know, and you say that. <laughs> I'll jinx you. With wildlife, you can't ever guarantee. True. I mean, I did take people out to see elk, and we saw them every single time. So, um, you know, there's probably harder things to find than an owl. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so when is the owl prowl? 
uh, that is June 8th at um, 8 p.m. It's going to start around the museum. We're just going to do a little hike, which the last time I did it, we saw ghost pipe, which is really cool. That's a non-photosynthetic plant. It's a parasitic plant. We saw wood roaches and mushrooms and, and all kinds of weird stuff, which, you know, is maybe not stuff you pay attention to during the day, but at night... It's something something to take note of. Uh, you've got uh, quite a few pets at home, like like your personal pets that are most people would consider icky. <laughs> Don't you have snakes and bearded dragons and? I have some snakes and I have a blue tongue skink and and some other little little buddies. But yeah, I you know and I I love to teach people about the unappreciated time animals. You know, if I can touch on you know how important a snake is to say reducing Lyme disease. People don't think about that kind of thing. But, you know, a snake, uh, there's a study out of University of Maryland that showed that your average timber rattler, adult timber rattler is swallowing like four to 5,000 ticks a year. Wow. Uh, yeah. So more snakes, there's less rodents. When there's less of those white-footed mice, there's there's less Lyme disease. That's so what, I always tell people about the Black Plague that they had uh, in Europe. And, you know, the Black Plague was caused by fleas that were on the rats because there were no reptiles, no snakes to eat the rats. And, you know, look at how many millions and millions of people died over that. So, you know, all snakes yeah. have a purpose. You know, and people think, oh, well, it couldn't possibly have an effect, but it, it does. There was just a really interesting article about how important hippo poop is to this one particular <laughs> lake in Africa because it's the source of silicates um, from the grass that these hippos are eating. They're depositing all these silicates into this lake. And without that, the ecosystem of the lake would just collapse. Wow. And, well, you think it couldn't possibly have an effect, but it absolutely does. Hey, the Buddha taught, you know, uh, uh, we are all connected. We all need each other. And I, I believe that. Uh, In the immediate future, we know about the Owl Prowl again. That's going to be June 8th, 8 o'clock. You meet at the museum in the mm -hmm. park. And that lasts, what, like two hours? We try to be done by the closing time of the park, which is 10 p.m. Um, but yeah, about two hours. We, we do a little, a little talk beforehand and a hike and, you know, get people familiar. I love to do the words for birds because people like, I need words for birds so badly. You, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right, and, right. and that's what's nice about birding, I think, is because it's really accessible. Like, even if you necessarily can't spot a bird very well, if you listen you know, that's another way to experience birding. Dave Denler has taught me uh, more about mm -hmm. listening for birds than I would have gotten into on my own. He hears things and he, you know, well, I've been out with him and he's like, don't you hear this way up here? And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, Dave, I don't. He's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he is some, he's on a whole nother level. You know, I hope to be as good as Dave one day, but yeah, in me the too. I'm not the most amazing birder. I, I Really, I'm a herper. I, I like my reptiles. I knew, but, that. I knew that about you. <laughs> well, I, you know, but I, I try, I always feel like if I'm excited about something, everybody else will get excited too. But I, was, I, I guarantee you, you're going to excite more people about birds than you're going to, than uh, snakes. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, well, birds are, it's, it's that charismatic quality to something like a mammal or a bird. Um, but if I can get people to at least leave things like that alone, it, it, it's a win for me. But um, I did want to mention kid my elk tours because those are actually off the park we leave from th these are in september and october and we leave from the lodge and we go out to tomlin wildlife management area 
And I'm bringing it up because some of the best birding experiences of my life have been out. If you go south on 119 from where the lodge is, you go south about three and a half miles. It's just past Holden. Okay. And it's up behind the regional jail. Oh, oh um, okay, okay, okay. That's where Tom and Wildlife Management Area is. And, and the thing about this, because, and this is, you know, getting back into charismatic things. Elk certainly is something that you can stick on a logo and everyone's like, oh, it's an elk. Absolutely. And yeah, that's important. But what's cool about the elk restoration is it's all about habitat diversity. And they have made these early successional habitats or meadows. Um, and you wouldn't believe the things that are piggybacking off these elk. So they're doing bobwhite quail restoration. I've never heard or seen a bobwhite quail. Older people you ask them and usually yeah they have um that's something that we've lost that is one of the few places in that i am aware of at least in southern Michigan, where i could say we go out there and we hang out long enough we're gonna see a harrier hawk oh, wow um, yeah that would be yeah. awesome yeah I, we we even got to see hang in midair on one of those elk tours um which was just incredible there are chipping sparrows out there uh field sparrows um there was an American bittern one time. Oh wow! Which, it was crazy because they they dug out these little these little ponds up there, and all these transient waterfowl were stopping up there. Um, so we just got some weird and wacky stuff. But that harrier hawk, he's he's he lives there, and that is something else. It, it's it's cool when I can take birders out to a wildlife management area and get them excited about buying, you know, something like a hunting license because that money is going straight back in to habitat restoration and all this conservation and stuff. And so that'll be going on in September and October. Are there specific dates for the outings or? Yeah, um, it's Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Um, All those are up on the Chief Logan website. There's a calendar and I think there's 20 dates. Um, and the tours are either 5.30 in the morning or 4 o'clock in the evening. And how do we get to the website? Um, that's chiefloganstatepark.com. Um, and that has, you know, all the park information, information about the trails. And then there's a calendar on there. And that's where all my little events are. Well, I got to tell you, Lauren, I am so happy that you you guys are doing all this at the park. And I, I know you have a lot to do with that. And just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate you. Because that's, I wish I had been a birder when I lived in Logan growing up. Mm-hmm. And that's the, one of the reasons why I have such a huge interest in what birds are there. <laughs> I'm this bird nerd now, but I honestly don't know because I never birded in Logan. So I really appreciate your efforts and the efforts of the other people at Chief Logan State Park. It's just an amazing place to be if you're ever in southern West Virginia, or even if you want to make the trip from here in Charleston, anywhere in the state, I can guarantee you that you're not going to be sorry. Thanks, kid. We, um, you know, I did a lot of winter birding programs, and I'm going to try to pick that back up again this winter, um, if not sooner. You know, like I said, it, it doesn't really matter what I'm going out for. Like, if we see something cool, we're, we're going to talk about it and look at it. And you're also yeah. going to see birds, no matter if you're going out to look at the elk or the wildflowers or whatever. You're going to see birds, so. Oh, yeah, the birds are there. And, and the birding really is good. There's a lot of the really common stuff. You're going to see bluebirds. You're going to see robins. But then we get things like northern flickers, a lot of those. I've watched three big pileated woodpeckers chasing each other around, you know, in a small area. Right. Um, Like I said, there's a lot of those, which is what 
you know, why the owls come in. I've seen indigo buntings. Oh wow, um, I didn't I didn't know that. And I need that bird. Yeah, I I've seen indigo buntings on the right hand fork of the park. I saw one I wanna say last June uh, and it is just indescribably blue. It's like the bluest thing I've ever seen. It was um it was something else. And then of course when you get all these little songbirds you get the birds that prey on the little songbirds right, so right. Yeah, we do see coopers um that sharp shin was pretty exciting this morning yeah i'm always trying to run up on the grouse i'd really like to see the rough grouse and and they they hang around towards the lodge side um up along the ridge and and those are a pretty exciting bird they're a game bird but still and we get yelled we have a lot of those yellow belly tap suckers if you can believe that i mean i can show you the holes that they make in the tree. They're just rows and rows and rows of, of holes. So it sounds to me like you guys might have like six of the seven woodpeckers that we have here in the state? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. The the only one that I, I've seen, downy, hairy, red-bellied, pileated, northern flicker, and the only thing that I have not seen is a red-headed woodpecker, which I know where I told you I saw it. And, I know you and, went to and, and that paid I, off, too. That was like, <laughs> it's a, that's a funny story, and I'll tell it real quick, and then I'll let you go. Um, I, we've been talking, here on the podcast, we talk about keeping a summer list or a bucket list. And I asked people to come up with four or five birds, or, or ten, depending on how much time they had, that they really wanted to see this summer and, and write down those four or five birds and put it on the refrigerator. And, and I, I look at it as like being a motivator. You know, yeah. every time you go to the refrigerator, you're going to see, oh, I need to make an effort to see these birds. So, th- you know, I had I had four birds on mine, and a redheaded woodpecker was one of them. And I thought, you know, I'm talking about this a lot, and I'm not really doing a, a lot about it. So I went to, I think it was Mountain State Birders, and I, I posted on there, and I asked everybody where they're seeing the redheaded woodpeckers. Everybody was saying, North Bend State Park, North Bend State Park, you got to take a kayak, but guarantee you'll see one. And so then I saw that you had posted you know on facebook that you had gone up there so i sent lauren yep. a message and i was like did you by chance see a, a red-headed woodpecker and she was like i did and so i was like all right that does it i gotta head up there and i did and i saw four yeah it, it's it's really unique places where they filled in that lake um artificially it's a and it doubles as a reservoir right right you know there are all these snags or dead trees in the middle of the lake and all around the lake and just and perfect what, habitat for for yeah. bluebirds and for tree swallows and and of course mm. the red-headed woodpecker so i mean that's not going to be the only time i go to north bend i guarantee you that heck i when i got to north bend i had four turkeys cross the road right in front of me on the road so i yeah. thought this is going to be a really good day so. oh yeah well we we saw um dave dillon was pretty sure it was an osprey and i i I tend to agree with him. It was way off in the distance, but they get those on the lake, and and I was told that they get bald eagles now and again, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I got to see uh, two double-breasted cormorants. I had to actually get Dave to ID one for me. Uh, I guess it was an immature bird, and it was a completely different color than they normally are, and I had no idea what it was. We get some cool waterfowl like that in the fall on the park. We've had buffalo heads. We get the double-breasted cormorants. Um in like October, September, October, November. Grebes, we get pie bill grebes every so often. Seven Acre Lake, so, you know, they drop in now and again. All right, guys, yep. uh, check out that website. What is that website one more time, Lauren? com. Lauren Cole's been our guest today. She is a naturalist at Chief Logan State Park. Lauren, I really appreciate you coming on the show with us today. Well, I appreciate you having me, kid. It was, uh, it's always nice to talk about, you know, what I do and get people excited about 
learning about nature and experiencing nature. So, well, anytime thanks. you have anything coming up, you have an open invitation. Just let me know you want to come back on, and uh, we'll plug it away. Thanks, kids. The West Virginia Nest Podcast is on the air. Hello, everybody. This broadcast is coming to you through the courtesy of Brighto and its six delicious flavors. Chocolate, vanilla, cranberry, strawberry, and raspberry. Ouch! It's still raspberry. <laughs> the wild, wonderful birds of West Virginia. All right, welcome back to the West Virginia Nest Podcast, or as they call it up in France, Les Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kid Conley. I wanted to talk to you. I ran across an article. This is the craziest thing, and it was a shock even to me. Somebody who spends a lot of time birding, uh, this is a shock to me. Now, we have 1,154 species of birds here in the continental U.S. That's every place but Alaska, Hawaii, and I guess Puerto Rico now. Um, of those 1,154 species, 432 species are at risk of extinction, according to scientificamerican.com. They did a 2016 study, so things could have improved since then, but uh, probably not. Things could have also gone the other way. But you think about that, 432 species of 1,154, that's 37%, guys. And in looking at this and doing my own research, of the 432 species that are at risk of extinction, 20 of those, by my calculations, by my research, 20 of those are West Virginia birds. Birds that either migrate through here regularly, are breeding residents, which means they're here for a little bit longer than migration. They actually raise a family here. And then when it gets cold, they go somewhere else. Or maybe even vice versa. Maybe they come here and breed, you know, in the fall and the winter, and they go to Canada for the summer. But 20 of these birds are West Virginia birds, and I've got a list of them. Now, they have issued these 432 species that are at risk of extinction what's called a concern score, and they put a lot of factors in here. One being of least concern, and 20 being probably extinct. Think of the ivory-billed woodpecker, all right, which is, by all intents and purposes, I think, extinct. You got some people who have dedicated their lives in proving that they exist, and some pretty pretty compelling evidence on video that maybe there are still a few of them out there. For all intents and purposes, these birds are extinct. So if something has a score of one, it's not going to make this list. One would be a grackle or a house sparrow. Birds you see everywhere, robin, cardinal. Those birds are a one. And again, 20 would be like an ivory-billed woodpecker. So some of the factors that they include to get this concern score include uh, declining populations, the numbers that we have on these birds, uh, habitat loss. We know where these birds live. We know what they like. We know what's been taken away from them. So that gets factored into it. Uh, Oceanic pollution in the areas that they're at. That gets factored in. That gets factored in. Invasive species that directly impact these birds. Uh, Take, for instance, birds that impact, say, a woodpecker. You know, woodpeckers are displaced a lot by quite a bit of birds. A lot of birds are taking their home. A lot of birds are coming in and they're taking food. By the way, introduce these species. Take the house sparrow, for instance. And I hate picking on a house sparrow because I enjoy the house sparrows. But we did bring them here 
in like 1901, we brought 50 pairs, and I think we bought 50 more. And now they are the most common bird in the country. They've displaced a lot of species and food and habitat. So that gets counted in there. There were some other threats that were identified, but they just they weren't made public. They were, for whatever reason, they didn't give those. But uh, you want to know what the 20 are, the 20 West Virginia birds? And there could be more. Again, this is according to my estimation. I went through that list a half a dozen times. I double-checked ranges. I double-checked residency. And this is what I come up with. So we'll start out with a pectoral sandpiper. I don't know if you've ever heard of a pectoral sandpiper. We have a few sandpipers here in the state. They're uh, migrants, but uh, we do have them here. They have a score of 13, which is pretty high. you got to have at least a score of 13 to make it on to this list of actually being considered endangered. So uh, that's bird number 20. Number 19 is the bird that caused me to go looking for this information, the red-headed woodpecker. You know exactly how long I've been talking about wanting to see a red-headed woodpecker. I've been birding for more than two years now and had not seen one and finally got to see one. I told you the whole story. Uh, it was on my summer wish list. It was on my bucket list. I uh, finally got to see one, but there's a reason why I had gone two years and actively, two years of actively birding. This red-headed woodpecker is number 19 on the list. It's got a 13 score. It is in danger. Number 17, a prairie warbler. It's a breeding resident in some parts of the state, most of the state. It's got a 13 score. And there's a few warblers on here. And when you get to talking about the possibility of some of these warblers disappearing, it's crazy to me because warblers are, they're among the most beautiful birds that we have here in this country. And we all get so excited in the spring when the warblers migrate through. I mean, I know I do. I have a lot of birding friends. I know they do. These birds are just brilliant in color. They're, they're a spark in our life, and we can't let this happen. So number 13, prairie warbler. Again, it's got a 13 score. Moving on, and some of these birds you may have never heard of. There were a couple that I was not familiar with. An olive-sided flycatcher, number 16, has a 13 score. They're a breeding resident in the eastern part of the state, and I believe it's extreme eastern part of the state, but an olive-sided flycatcher. You see any of those flycatchers, and they're beautiful. They're on the list. Uh, The lesser yellow legs has a 13 score. Now, that's a migrator. Not the same as a, a yellow legs, but a lesser yellow legs. Now, there were a couple of owls on the 432 species, you know, out of the whole continental U.S., but only one that we get in West Virginia, and that's the long-eared owl. It's on the list. It's a non-breeding resident with a 13 score. One bird that I got to be a little familiar with this year is an evening grosbeak, and it's one of the most gorgeous birds you can ever see. Beautiful color of yellow, black, and a little bit of gray mixed in. I remember on one of the podcasts I was talking about trying to draw one. You know, as most of you know, I'm a bird artist. They're very tough to draw. An evening grosbeak has this yellow, and it has this black, and it has a sort of a pink colored beak. Very tough to draw because I draw in pencil, and to try and get to, to differentiate a little bit between pink and yellow on a bird with a pencil or a shade of pencil. It's very hard to do. The evening grosbeak is on there. Google it. See what it looks like. 13 score. Connecticut warbler, another warbler. 13 score. I believe that's number 13 on the list. At this point, it doesn't really matter. A Connecticut warbler is a migratory bird that does regularly come through West Virginia, another beautiful warbler. One of my all-time favorite birds, one that's definitely on my summer wish list, one that I look for every single spring and summer, is a Cape May warbler. And they're on the list with a 13 score. They're migratory. They come in the spring and leave in the fall. What a gorgeous bird. I mean, how do you even describe a Cape May warbler? 
little bit of yellow, a little bit of gray, a little bit of brown. It's got that red spot on its cheek. Just beautiful. Google it if you've never seen one. They're on the list. Uh, Black-billed cuckoo is on the list. I've been fortunate enough to see one at a distance uh, with binoculars. Uh, but uh, they're on the list. They've got a 13 score, and they are a breeding resident. So that is a true West Virginia bird right there, the black-billed cuckoo. American woodcock, 13 score. That's a breeding resident also. Uh, American black duck, the only duck on the list, at least in West Virginia, has a 13 score. They are a non-breeding resident, uh, a migrator, but still. West Virginia bird, American black duck, also with a 13 score. Let's move on. And we're moving up to a 14 score now. We're going from 13 to 14. So these birds are in a little more danger than the last ones I talked about. A wood thrush, believe it or not. Wood thrush has a 14 score. They're a breeding resident. Now, they do take off for the winter, but they come back and they raise families here. And if how could you possibly, if you're a birder, and you, en- you enjoy looking at these beautiful birds, and, and a wood thrush is a beautiful bird. It looks a lot like an oven bird, quite a bit like a robin, only different colored. It is a thrush like a robin or a bluebird, but if you've ever heard a wood thrush song, you'll miss it when it's gone. Listen. That's, that's a wood thrush song. My favorite sound in the forest. I can't even imagine not, hear, not being able to listen to this. Luckily, we've got YouTube, guys. We can always go back and listen to, you know, 50 years from now, we can go back and listen to a 30-year-old wood thrush because if we don't start making a change here, that's what we're going to have to do to hear that beautiful song. Let me let you hear it again. Unbelievable. Also on the list, a semi-palmated sandpiper. Another sandpiper with a 14 score. This is a migrant, but that's okay. We can depend on it every year to come here. Maybe not for long. No. Another beautiful warbler, possibly one of the most beautiful warblers out there, with a 14 score, a prothonotary warbler. Uh, Just a gorgeous yellow warbler that usually found near water. I've never seen one. Not in person, but Google it. Look at a picture of Pythonitary. P-R-O-T-H-O-N-A-T-A-R-Y. Warbler. Now, they're a migrant of the western edge of the state, but they do show up. They pop up all over the state from time to time, especially during migration. Guys, we can't let this bird go. We just can't do it. Kentucky Warbler is another one with a 14 score. Another migrant, but a beautiful Kentucky Warbler. We'll move on. The Henslow Sparrow has a 14 score. Now, they're year-round resident, I think, in the northern panhandle. The eastern whippoorwill. Now, you've all known that we've had some whippoorwill problems before. You've all probably seen the Facebook post asking for the atlas that came out back in, like, 2014 or whatever. I believe the whippoorwill's numbers, they improved a little bit, but this study was done in 2016. So they were still on the list with a 14 score, and that's pretty friggin' high. They're a breeding resident, which means they raise a family here, they raise their young here, and they fly away in the winter. Eastern whippoorwill, on the list. Bubblelink, another beautiful bird. They're a migrant in most of the state, but they do breed in the eastern part of West Virginia. So they are a West Virginia bird, and they have a 14 score. And that's the number two bird on the list. The number one bird on the list is another one of the most beautiful warblers, arguably one of the most beautiful warblers in the world, is a cerulean warbler. Uh, and they move up the list with a 15, the highest, most endangered bird that we have here in West Virginia. 
is a cerulean warbler. Um, they've got that concern score of 15. They're a migrator, of course, but they just, you know, with 20 being extinct, this bird, this beautiful blue cerulean warbler has a score of 15. It's getting up there. It's getting close. So there you go. There's 20 birds that are endangered here in West Virginia, and there could be a few more. By my estimation, those are the 20 out of the 432 species that we have in this country. 37 percent of our birds are in trouble what can we do to help them what can we do we can make a change it's got to start with you it's got to start with me i'm guilty of a lot of the stuff that i'm going to tell you about i'm going to give you 10 ways that you can help save these birds and birds around the country if you're ready but it has to start with you and it has to start with me and i'm promising you guys it's going to start with me from this moment on i am going to follow what i'm telling you here i'm going to walk the walk rather than just talk the talk. The first thing you can do is prevent bird collisions with your windows. And we've talked about this at length, mostly about just singular birds trying to fight their own reflection. But uh, collisions are one of the most frequent causes of bird deaths. Birds see nature reflected in the window. They think it's just part of the scenery, and they try to fly through it, and bam, they fly right into your windows. Or they see houseplants inside a window, and they think it's just you know another part of the scenery, so they fly into it. One thing you can do is put up curtains. Put up window decals. It helps cover up the window. And, and when you put up curtains, make sure they have a light background, either white or off-white or a light, bright background. Because, again, and I've told you this before, if you put something dark in front of a piece of glass, it becomes a mirror. So that could actually make it worse in some cases. Just if you put up, if, if that's the method that you choose to do, put up curtains, check the back of them out. And I think most curtains are probably white um, on the inside. But some people actually go so far as to soap up their windows in the spring and summer. You know, it all depends on how cosmetic you are. I don't want to use the word vanity because that's not being vain to have clean windows. Like, I get that. That's, that's extreme. But, hey, if it helps, what length are you willing to go to to help these birds? That's just another example. And the number two thing that you can do on the list to help protect these birds is lock up your cats. Put them in the house. Don't let them out. Outdoor cats are number two on the list next to, I think, probably deforestation. Uh, cutting, taking away their habitat, chopping down the trees and stuff, and, and, and plowing the land over to develop stupid things like condos and malls and mega churches and things like that. If you have a cat and it goes outside for any length of time, chances are it's killing birds. And you may think, oh, not my little fluffy, not my Tom. <laughs> your Tom is not native to this country. Uh, people long ago brought your cat over from Egypt or wherever the hell they came from. And we love them. And I'm not anti-cat. I, I have to say that on every single episode. I'm anti-people who let their cats roam around outside. Doesn't matter what you do to them. You can fix them. You can declaw them. They're still going to kill birds. And by the way, declawing, that's cruel. They actually cut a cat's claws off the knuckles. And that's not the way a cat's supposed to be. So what can you do? Keep your cats indoors. If you absolutely, for whatever reason, can't keep your cats indoors, buy a bell, the biggest bell you can find, the loudest bell you can find, and put on its collar so at least the birds have a chance. I've told you that before. I don't want to get into it anymore. <laughs> I sound like a grumpy old man, but, you know, I, I talk about this every single uh, episode. Cats, 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 cats. Lock your cats in the house. There's no reason for your cat to go outside. Another thing you can do is use cloth grocery bags and reusable bottles. Things like that keep a lot of trash from going to the landfills, and, and it keeps them out of the ocean, quite frankly. Birds mistakenly eat plastic every day, and they 
either get sick or they die from that. You can avoid plastic bags and bottles just by reusing. Recycle, that's number four on the list. Anything that you can recycle, do it. I am so not guilty of recycling, but I'm going to be. I'm going to do it starting today. Plastics, especially. That's the important thing. They won't end up in the oceans. They won't end up in the landfills. Less of it to hurt the birds. That's the theory. Another thing you can do is help restore natural habitat in your community. These birds have got to have a place to live. And a lot of the bird habitats are disappearing. And, and I told you, it's due to, to deforestation. It's due to people wanting, needing more lumber to build more places for more people to live. And they're begging people in every apartment complex in this town, offering free first month and last month rent, offering free two months rent. This luxury apartment, Eagle View Apartments, that sits high up on the top, that's the name of it, sits high on the top of Charleston. It's called Eagle View Apartments. So now you get to live in a luxury apartment and look down over the city of Charleston just like an eagle could if it could get back up there to its habitat. But it can't because they've plowed the whole mountainside down and put up a luxury apartment that we don't need. Open up a newspaper. Look at the classifieds. They're, they're begging people to rent places. Places to buy. We don't need more luxury apartments. We just don't. I'm sorry. So getting out into the parks, volunteering, uh, helping rebuild these birds' habitats, even planting your own bird habitats in your yard. Find out what the native species are. Plant it in your yard. You can help. Helps a lot. Another thing you can do is buy bird-friendly products. And that includes coffee and chocolate, especially. All right, You can help preserve bird habitats in Mexico, Central and South America, and the Caribbean. And that may not sound important because that's not here. But think about where our migrants come from. Think about where our birds go. The catbird, that you, the gray catbird that you love so much that shows up every spring, raises a family here, stays all summer, and then it disappears. Guess where it goes? South America, Mexico, Central America. That's where they go. All these beautiful, well, not all of them, but a lot of these beautiful warblers. They go to the Caribbean. They go to uh, Central and South America. They go to Mexico. So what happens is it, when you're buying coffee, when you're buying chocolate, look on the label. Look for Shade Coffee Farms, all right? Now, that's not a brand name. That's the way it's grown. In other words, they're offering shade. They're growing the coffee and the chocolate in the shade, all right? Uh, this process, these, these companies have made a commitment to birds, and they say, we're not going to take your habitat. We're going to provide more habitat for you and also sell our products. So, you know, they're doing the Shade Coffee Farms. They're doing the Shade Chocolate Farms. So it's the Sun Coffee Farms that you want to avoid, and it's on every package. You can look at it. If it says shade coffee, shade grown coffee, it's good. Sun grown coffee, bad. Don't support them because they don't support the birds. And I hope your, your regular brand of coffee isn't one of the sun grown ones because that's asking a lot to, when you ask people to change their brand of coffee. Believe me, I know this, but that's something you can look for. Check your brand. See if it's shade grown. Shade good, sun bad. Just remember that, all right? Uh, plant native species. Do some research. Find out what species of plants and trees are native to the community that you live in, to the uh, region that you live in, and plant them. You're helping the birds out by doing that. And number eight is my favorite, and something that I've sort of, uh, you know, made my life here in the last couple of years is teaching other people about birds. Everything that you learn, especially about bird conservation, you can teach other people. And you can use whatever platform you have, whether it be Facebook, whether it be a podcast, whether it be 
Instagram, you can tell, you can reach a lot of people through social media. You can reach a lot of people through the media. I'm a media person. I do the number one rated afternoon radio show in Charleston and don't think for a second that I don't use that platform to talk about birds. Don't think, you know, when it's fledgling season that I don't get on the radio and tell people, hey, if you're cutting your grass this weekend, watch out for baby birds, do a walkthrough. Don't think that I don't use that platform just like I use my home studio to do this podcast to educate and to be educated myself because I'm a newbie. I'm a new birder. I spend a lot of time studying birds, but there are people out there that know way more than I do, believe me, and I learn from each one of them. But the important thing is is that you teach others. Talk to your friends about the birds. Spread the word about conservation. Listen, people are basically good. Most people are basically good. The more they know, the more they'll do to help. I honestly believe that in my heart, especially when it comes to beautiful birds. So use word of mouth. Tell all your friends. Tell your kids. Teach your nephews, your nieces, your grandkids. Use every platform you have to promote conservation of these birds. It's important. The number nine thing you could do is support conservation. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. If you've got money to give to Audubon, great. If you've got money to give to some of these organizations that that say, hey, we're here to help the birds, great. It's not the only way you can help. If you don't have the money, you can always volunteer your time to conservation projects. Every state park, Kanawha State Forest is constantly looking for people to volunteer, man, to help, you know, with uh, the creation of, of bird habitats and birdhouses. Not just that, but signs and trails and, and cleaning up the park and just all that stuff. That's another way you can contribute to protecting birds. Support the conservation efforts, whether monetarily or with your time or even just spreading the word. And number 10 is one that I really, really want to talk to you about at length, and that's avoid chemicals that can be harmful to the environment. And birds are part of the environment. What you may not realize is that if you, let's take any kind of pesticide, for instance, slug killer. Just for example, if you buy slug killer and you put it in your garden to keep the slugs from chewing up your plants and the slugs die and a bird eats the slug, finds the slug just lying there and he eats it, the bird could die too. This is very important, guys. Very important. Do your research when you have to buy weed killer or pest control, anything like that. Don't use anything outside that's not safe for birds or the environment, period. Do your research. I promise you there is absolutely 100% an alternative to every single weed killer, bug killer, and pest deterrent out there. So do that research before you buy and you can be helping out uh, avoiding chemicals that may harm these birds. And there you go. That's 10 ways you can help save these birds. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the West Virginia Nest Podcast. Looking for a bird event, nature walk, bird group meeting, or similar event? We've got them all here on the West Virginia Nest Community Calendar. Here's what's happening this week in and around West Virginia. We've got quite a bit of stuff going on in and around West Virginia for the first uh, couple of weeks in June. We'll start out with... Crown City Wildlife Area. That's in Ohio, but it's right across the border from West Virginia. They're going to meet at the Park and Ride, Ohio Route 339 and Route 7. Bring a lunch. You can contact uh, the coordinator, John Benedetti, 304-295-8945. I believe this is the Brooks Bird Club. You'll hear that name, John Benedetti, come up a few times here. Uh, Just like Lauren told you about, June 8th, Chief Logan State Park, they're doing the Owl Prowl. They're going to meet with uh, naturalist Lauren Cole. 8 o'clock at the museum in the park, which is right in the center of the park, and do a short hike and just uh, listen. 
Let your vision adjust for nighttime. Uh, feel the temperature changes and a sense of wonder. It makes an owl prowl a special evening outdoors. This activity is completely interactive. It's educational. It wraps up about 10 p.m., so it's about two hours long. It is free, open to the public, June 8th, Chief Logan State Park. They're doing a Canaan Valley overnight bird trip, and I think, again, this is uh, the Brooks Bird Club um, the details and all the everything for this event will be known later, but if you have interest, call John Benedetti at 304-295-8945. Bird Walk at the McDonough Wildlife Refuge, again, the Brooks Bird Club, Thursday, June 20th, 8 to 2. They're going to meet at the McDonough parking lot. You can contact John again at 304-295-8945. And Chief Logan State Park again, June 14th. They're going to do a wildlife exhibit, a guided tour. It's a guided interactive tour of the Chief Logan Wildlife Exhibit at the Wildlife Exhibit. If you've never been there before, it is a really nice wildlife exhibit. They usually have some bears there, and they've got plenty of birds, usually hawks. Uh, They may have an owl or two up there. It it changes from time to time. It's been quite a few years since I've been up there. But I guarantee you're going to have fun. Lauren Cole is going to run you through uh, about an hour-long tour and just uh, talk to you about the care of the wildlife's role in the environment. Uh, It's absolutely free to attend, open to the public, June 14th at the Wildlife Exhibit. If you have a birding event or a nature event coming up and you'd like for me to talk about it here on the podcast, feel free to send it to me. You can go to our Facebook page, WVNest, like us, and just send me a message. Or you can email it to me at wvnest at gmail.com. Either way, we'll put it on for you absolutely free of charge. You're listening to the West Virginia Nest Podcast, the wild, wonderful birds of West Virginia. Yes, With Kid Conley. <laughs> I was the butt of many jokes this week. I made a big deal out of going, uh, you know, what, what was it, like four hours a little over four hours round trip to see a redheaded woodpecker because I needed that for my list. And, of course, I talk about it on Facebook, and all my friends are just giving me hell. They're telling me they're seeing redheaded woodpeckers everywhere. My sister told me she saw a redheaded woodpecker, but they're not. They're not. They're seeing red-bellied woodpeckers or pileated woodpeckers. They're not seeing the redheads. I know where they are. And then it became a joke. Everybody wanted to say, hey, kid, I'm looking red-headed woodpecker and it's funny but uh what a week it's been a great week how are you doing on your uh, summer bird list i'd love to know about it you can uh, let me know through messenger just go to our facebook page wv nest send me a message through there or post it right on the wv nest page uh you can also send it to me at wvnest at gmail.com love to hear about it all right so that's going to wrap up the podcast for us this week i will be back next week and i did promise you a topic a couple of weeks ago that we have not looked at yet which is going to be our main topic for next week and it's going to be 10 i think it was 10 was it 10 might have been 20 a bunch of weird foods that you can offer birds to get more traffic more bird traffic into your yard it's going to be a lot of fun some of these things you may never have heard of some of them you have i'm sure lots of people recommend uh, grape jelly and things like that but but what about eggshells that's one of the foods that you can offer the birds in your yard and i'll tell you why it works and a whole bunch of other foods next week right here on the west virginia nest podcast kid conley saying see ya pack up all of my cares and woes here i go singing low by my blackbird where somebody waits for me sugar sweet and honey so is she Bye-bye, my blackbird. You've been listening to the West Virginia Nest Podcast with Kid Conley. 
Join us next week for another exciting podcast dedicated to the wild, wonderful birds of West Virginia. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at WVNest. Email us your comments or questions at WVNest at gmail.com. Happy birding! Bye-bye.